0: Hello, and welcome to the Elder Tree podcast. My name is Twiggy Dawn, founder of the Elder Tree and Alcamilla Herbals. You are listening to the Herbal Educators segment, where each new moon, I will be inviting a series of guests to chat about the world of herbal education, about their passions and motivations, and their dreams for the future of herbal medicine in Australia. In this episode, I had the great pleasure of interviewing a teacher of mine, Sandra Parker, who has been a clinical herbalist since the 1980s and is based in a beautiful location of Deloraine in Tasmania. Sandra is an incredibly wise and experienced herbalist who has been manufacturing herbal medicine since the year 2000. She had the amazing opportunity to learn from and work with the renowned Ken Atherton for 15 years and went on to offer his manufacturing seminars after he passed away. You may recall from previous interviews that Ken ran Pindari Farm in Tasmania, where he grew over 130 different medicinal plants and taught students how to harvest and prepare many different medicinal preparations from fresh plants for many years. And this is the place where I met Sandra in 2015. This interview gives wonderful insight into Sandra's journey of working alongside Ken and then carrying on his legacy once he passed. She shares such valuable information about the importance of knowing the plants that you work with and having a deep connection to them. I have an immense amount of respect for the fact that Sandra grows and makes around 95 percent of the medicines that she dispenses as a practitioner. In fact She is the only herbalist that I know of in Australia who can make this claim. She has a high level of integrity with her medicines. And when she does have to purchase ingredients to use in her creams, etc. She only sources local organic ingredients. She is a passionate, precise and meticulous teacher. She's received much of her training from a pharmacist and herbalist and has a high standard when it comes to ensuring efficacy of her medicines. I hope that you enjoy this wonderful interview. It brings me great pleasure to share these inspiring teachers with you all, and I hope that it inspires all herbalists to deepen their connection to the medicines that they dispense. Good morning, Sandra. Thanks so much for joining me here on the Auditory podcast.
1: Good morning. Lovely to see you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for asking me.
0: Thank you. It is is really such an honour for me to get to interview you here on the podcast because you've been, um, as a herbal educator, you've been such an influential person in my journey to become a herbal medicine educator. Uh, I really love the high levels of integrity you have with your medicine making and and just your your whole journey as as an educator and as a practitioner, and um, I've been really loving watching your journey. So,
1: yeah, it's a real <laughs> honour for me to um, get to have
0: you here on the show.
1: Oh, that's fantastic! You can watch me. Oh, um, I'm deeply honoured by those words. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: I uh, recall that we met in 2015 um, when I attended a five-day medicine making intensive seminar at Pindari, mm-hmm. uh, which was co-facilitated by you and Linda Bates. And yeah, it was a really pivotal point in my um, herbal medicine path. And um, I know that you know Ken can couldn't be there. You know he wasn't around anymore. But I feel like he really held the held the flag really well and um, delivered that content really beautifully there.
1: Yeah, that was um, uh, a fairly substantial seminar, five and a half days pretty much. And originally I was asked to do it by myself and I said no. (laughs) And then they said, well, why don't you see if you can get another herbalist to join you? And I do love working with people. So um, I had met Linda Bates and we had gotten on really, really well. So, yeah, she was the first choice and she actually said yes, which I thought was just wonderful and because her knowledge is quite different to mine. uh, Yeah, look, that herb farm was an amazing place and I suppose it's something I would like to uh, give thanks to that I managed to arrive from the northern rivers of New South Wales to good old Deloraine and 20 minutes down the road is this amazing herb farm with a pharmacist who had turned into a herbalist. He was very much an alchemist type individual. Um, He had put in a huge amount of work and there was 130 minimum medicinal herbs up in this garden. So it drew people to it constantly. Um, The seminars were pretty much always sold out. Um, We could do 10 people comfortably, 14 was not good, 12 was okay. But I loved being there because I spent years going up there learning about the herbs like a lot of other herbalists, came out of my course, did things, um, we had been taught to make a balm with Vaseline and I just couldn't do that and I come up there and I've got this amazing pharmacist with astounding amount of knowledge who can teach me all this manufacturing without chemicals and so I was hooked. Um, When I started uh, doing the seminars, I was stunned at how much knowledge there is there to give out. And so uh, a pharmacist herbalist as an educator and instructor of manufacturing for herbalism um, is a very rare person. So I would go up there regularly. And one time I missed about two years in the 15 years I was going up there I never did that again because when I went up there again after the two years, more herbs, he refined everything. And so we might start with a certain process, making say a cream, and then after a while he'd refine it and refine it, so that it was easier, uh, less less problems with um, viabilities, growing molds, things like that. And so I just kept going up there all the time. So it was part of the furniture. Um, Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The learning that he taught people was to think outside the box, essentially. And as a Western-trained herbalist, I found we had a few debates about certain things. And because of his knowledge and therefore my knowledge, we would clash sometimes in a very nice manner. But the end result was he'd always say, well, just go home and try it. Proof's in the pudding. So I'd go home and try it. And it would work and, you know, but it wasn't supposed to. But I found that to be quite remarkable. So after a while, I just shut up and, you know, followed him around. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time up there with um, Ken Atherton. He was quite an amazing individual. He wasn't a man for silly chit-chat. If you had something worthwhile talking about, he would. Otherwise, he would say, come here and help me weed. (laughs) because he needed to do all these jobs. And if you were going to talk, I don't know, about your ex-boyfriend and how he's treating you, um, he would say, right, we need to, you know, dampen all this down into the soil we need to get you working and we need to change where you are. And I thought, this is really interesting what he's doing with all the people here. Um, Yeah, so to walk into his apothecary was just amazing, the smells. Many people would walk in there and breathe in and just go, oh, I love this. And it was a common thing for us to hear. Yeah, so in 2015, um, Linda and I bravely went out there and taught the five-day seminar. Um, I had done so many of the seminars by that stage, I sort of knew them backwards. And so I was a bit of a guiding force with that first one. Um, We had a lot of fun up there. There was some beautiful people. It was wonderful to be in a role that you never thought you'd be in and to pass on knowledge to people who are passionate, want to know. They want to know when they walk out into the forest what some of the plants are. Are they medicinal? When they're walking along the street, they can discern which plants are medicinal and which aren't. Are they able to harvest them because they're hanging over the fence or they're out in a panic? So being able to enlighten people to that and not just herbalists, anyone. um, I've never, ever said I'd only ever teach qualified people, never. And I think at that time you had no particular qualifications as informal, did you?
0: No, nothing formal. A, a driving passion, um, mm. you know, and and self-led education, but nothing, nothing formal. Mm.
1: And you start, still found great benefit from
0: it. Oh, immense benefit! It was, um, it was like the the main pivotal point in, in in setting me off in my past because I'd never had an example of what I'd wanted to be creating until I went there to Pindari, um, you know, with all of the like you say, over 130 different medicinal plants and just the, that, that medicine making mm-hmm. space was just amazing, it was very comprehensive, very, and, you know, and the precision, the precision, like you say, of that, um, the pharmaceutical um, precision of, of that, that world and, that, uh, and then, the, you know, the, but then with the live plants because the only teachers I'd had in my life up until that point had been working with the plants from the dried point so here's your dried herb we're going to kind of work from there or your tincture or whatever and so to actually come and get to be in an environment especially to actually all be there and kind of staying together and eating together but to be there Mm. to harvest the fresh medicine and to then make the medicine like that um, was just absolutely pivotal because I'd had a dream in my head for years that that i've never actually seen any examples so um you know and and so and also it's been very formative in in my um in my dreaming up of the elder tree vision and so also you taught me a lot about in that five and a half days you taught me so much of identification of medicinal plants so Mm -hmm. you know doing the tours of the gardens and being like oh that's hypericum perforatum you know and this is how you identify Hypericum perforatum and you know and so many other plants and I went directly on from that seminar I went to to New Zealand to visit family and oh my gosh medicine was just suddenly everywhere now that I'd had my eyes opened up to what to look out for and I was on the roadside harvesting all of this Hypericum perforatum <laughs> and making the most rich red oil from it and you know harvesting all of this mullein you know growing on the side of the road and all plants that I'd seen in books but I hadn't met them in person so. Yeah, it was, it was a very amazing experience and, and I feel like you and Linda were a really um, really great team in your delivery as well. So I, I got a really well-rounded kind of ed- educational experience from it.
1: Yeah, and that's I suppose what I loved about being up there was watching people come with their passions. It wasn't always they wanted to grow medicinal herbs for medicinal reasons. Sometimes we had a lot of people who came along who had very beautiful properties, they'd done them up, And they were some sort of accommodation or retreat type area. And they'd come up to understand what it was like in this type of garden, what had been created up there, to see if it was matching in or would give them some ideas with what they were going to do with their property. Um, Some people just really wanted to know about the herbs so they could make soap. They wanted to know how to make a balm so they could sell those at the markets. But people of integrity who really wanted to sell the highest quality ingredients um, for the best uh, results, same as the creams. Um, One particular lady, she had a beautiful property down in South Australia, and she wanted to have all her own creams there that she had made herself from the plants out in the garden. And that wasn't to do with cost. That was to do with um, the romanticism of it. And she wanted to create an atmosphere. And when you create an atmosphere, people feel it, people sense it. Uh, many times up at that particular herb farm, you go along, sit by someone who's sitting on a rock near a garden and start chatting away. And, you know, and they'd say things like, oh, I just love it up here. I don't want to ever go back. I like your world better than my world. Things like this they would often say because it was peaceful There was no interruptions of cell phones, computers, laptops and um, you had the herbs being infused into you for the whole five days. Sitting around herbs, you breathe in a lot of their energy, essential oils, other chemicals that come off them um, and you can't help but being around that many herbs, especially of a medicinal nature and not have this infusion happen with you. You'd see people's faces soften. Mm. They would get up there very eager and ready. Um, but after about a day and a half, you'd see the softening of the faces, more laughter. They'd slow down with their walking. It was really interesting to watch the stress just fade away, disappear um, in this environment. And I used to notice when even I'd have to drive up there, drop something off and then go, Sometimes I think, oh, I'll just stay for five minutes, <laughs> park the car, get out, and go sit under, sit with some herbs or under some trees or something or other, to to get that little infusion happening. And as far as the education that went on up there, it was certainly scientific, because a pharmacist, it's ingrained in them, perfection is ingrained in them, and yeah, they're quite diligent with what they do. So if we bear in mind that when we are doing manufacturing, a wonderful process that it is, uh, we can, as well as uh, help people, we can at times, if we're not careful, hurt people as well. And that was a big focus of the seminar was to ensure that people got the right information so they felt safe being able to give, whether it be creams, balms, medicinal tinctures, to others and know that they're doing it safely they've done the correct identification um, they have done the correct harvesting they have done the correct calculations for instance to make a medicinal tincture um, yes yeah, so there's a lot to be said for being precise and I'm often called <laughs> meticulous <laughs> but that comes from just making sure I'm doing everything in the correct way The measurements are correct Everything is correct and I do that also because if you don't do it correctly then you will have disasters at the end. So a simple infused oil can grow a beautiful mould and that's all the way through it not just at the top if you don't know a few little things along the way to ensure that doesn't happen. So therefore you waste your plant, you waste your oil, you waste your time, and you're to clean it all up, and then you're going to start again. So it makes a lot of sense if you are taught how to do something correctly, you simply continue on that way. Um, when I was taught, we were basically looking at uh, doing apple cider vinegar tinctures and also alcohol, but um, we weren't taught with the fresh plant tinctures to take into consideration the water that is already within the plant. So when I first came across that, I thought, no, why wasn't I taught that? Depending on where you learned or when you learned um, depends on, I suppose, the information you were given. Uh, I still see like a lot of uh, podcasts, little films, etc., on YouTube from American herbalists, where it's very common just to have, say, your 100 grams of herb to maybe 400 grams of your menstruum, whether it's alcohol, water, or your ACV. Um, I used to always have a bit of a problem with that because it seemed very vague, and then it was one teaspoon three times a day. And I was never quite comfortable with that. If you're doing some ordinary herbs, you know, some calendula, chickweed, other herbs, you might find that's okay. But when you're doing medicinal dosing, especially with some of the more dangerous herbs, um, you really need to be conscious of the fact that you don't want to hurt anyone. And so, therefore, getting your figures right, getting the accuracy right is really, really important. When it comes to moving on from the manufacturing and the formulating, that is where it gets interesting. So I have found that when I've done supervisions uh, for budding little herbalists, that it is something that they don't understand a great deal while they're still within their course. And it's possibly, it's one of those things that really only comes with experience of a couple of years to know, uh, to shall we say, to drift away from the formulas that you're given when you're at college, which are good and you need somewhere to start and you need um, the awareness of why you would use certain amounts of herbs for a certain condition, which is taught and is very, very important. Um, I have found working within a clinic for a very long time a lot of the rules that I would have followed probably in the first five years of being in clinical practice I discarded and I started doing I suppose things more on what I would call an intuitive value but I never ever ever would leave behind the scientific type basis that I've come from because both do work together you don't have to have one or the other Having both together gives you more lateral thinking and you can create formulations that really are very effective by working with certain herbs. So when you harvest certain herbs, you know how they've grown, you know what energy is in them because you're working with them. So at the moment, for instance, I'm harvesting lime flowers from lindens, Europa and Cordata, um, I've had to stop because i ended up with really bad sinus problems <laughs> so i'm up there in the tree pulling down all these um, beautiful like the first leaf the uh, uh, bract and also the flower well you're breathing all that in then you take it home in the car so you're breathing it in then you take it to the lounge room where you put it out to be dry and then you're breathing in for the next several days you can sleep a lot when you do this 10 hours a night is not uncommon So having had my son here recently, Mm -hmm. I said, well, you're going to sleep well for the next few nights. We were waking up at 9 o'clock in the morning, (laughs) drowsy. And at one point he said, when is this finished? (laughs) I would like to go back to, you know, seven, eight hours sleep. So I know that particular harvest from that particular tree at that right moment in time, that day, was a really potent harvest. So you get to understand more about what you're dealing with when you are harvesting the plants so that when it comes to manufacturing or formulating, you've got a very good idea of how these herbs work. You don't always need to actually taste or drink some. You can just be around them. And so that's what I was alluding to before with uh, being up at Pindari and having so many days in a row. um, It's like an osmosis, this infusion that happens with the herbs. You really get to know your herbs quite well when you are dealing with them yourselves. And a lot of people, I suppose one of the things most people want to know is where to start. And so my suggestion is, and everything I say is just a suggestion, that they start with a few pots, put a few herbs in, um, on your computer get um, information, copy and paste, and then as it's growing you can put more information down as you're learning about the herb. Some people like to just feel them. Some people just like to sit near them. Other people like to have a taste. And anywhere you start is a good place, anywhere. So that's one of the most common things that I am asked. And, you know, over a period of time, then they can get a little patch of ground if they so wish and start growing more herbs. And I think it's one of the greatest delights for me is when other herbalists start growing their own herbs and then they are firing questions at me through, you know, emails, et cetera, about what about this and how do I do that? I love it. I just love it because I've always feared this portion of growing our herbs, processing, um, manufacturing is starting to die off. And that would be mm. uh, a big shame for many, many reasons. Mm. Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 I'm totally with you there. It's so important to um, have a connection to the plants and, uh, you know, especially for you with your dispensing, you know, when you're giving a medicine to your patients, then you know exactly where that's come from, you know exactly what you're giving them. So, um, yeah I think that that's really really important and and you're right it is a it, it has it has been steadily a bit of a mm. um it's falling to the wayside that that way of making medicine there's a lot more um m- m- the average kind of herbalist and naturopath in Australia now is is getting in kind of bulk buying in you know tinctures and and capsules and kind of having having them made somewhere else which is um you know they're they're, they're very um they can be Still, um, you know, like Herb, for example, has a really high level of like testing all of their batches and, uh, you know, have a really good efficacy and everything. And so the medicine works, but then it's just a completely different thing entirely to... To, to a have a connection with the plants um you know and actually really have like a living a living relationship with those plants that you're dispensing um yeah and then it's a really special thing to be able to make those medicines even if you're not making your whole dispensary but to have that connection and to know what it takes to make that medicine even i'd like to see that become more you know more normalized because my you know my manufacturing um experience at university was very different to my manufacturing experience with with you at Pindari you know we were literally in a in a room with um no windows in the city and um and just you know with a wonderful teacher we had a really wonderful teacher um who was growing his own medicine but we couldn't go to his farm but you know in the actual room it was all just dried herbs mm-hmm. that have been grown god knows where mm-hmm. that have lost already so much of their vitality before we're even making anything from them so um you know and that's kind of um, you know, the level that's being taught. So, yeah, I would love to see more more spaces like uh, the Pindari open mm. up and, and more teachers like you, mm. you know, happening, which I, I feel that there is a slow resurgence of that. It's just kind of we've been watching the, 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 the steady kind of the loss of that over the last one to two decades especially and um, but I do think that there is a next um, rise coming so I've been really observing that and seeing a lot more people kind of waking up and wanting to get more connected to their to their medicine so yeah, yeah that would be totally hear where you're coming from with all of
1: that that would be something I would absolutely love to see is whether it's you don't have to have things exactly the same exactly the same format but Certainly having those immersive-type workshops of several days, Mm -hmm. (coughs) excuse me, included with um, uh, any courses would be just fantastic. Um, Speaking to someone recently, they said that their course was all online and so it was all distant ed and she said she couldn't work that way. So many people have different ways of learning. I couldn't personally do just distant ed. I'm one of those who likes to be in a classroom. Um, I need everything around me, the the voices, the everything. Um, (laughs) Speaking of what you were talking about before with people to teach, um, it's one of those things you have to live this for a period of time to really be able to transfer that knowledge. Um, It's nothing Mm. amazing as far as the knowledge goes. It's just a little bit of awareness so when I was thinking about this yesterday evening, so our sun's setting about 9.30 here at the moment, so about 8.30 I was wandering around with a beautiful dim light and I walked into my bedroom and I can see the lemon verbena. Then I can look over to the side and I see the beautiful poke root that's taller than me in its first year. And then as I look over further, you know, I can see, you know, all the echinaceas and the pedophilum that died on me. Um, You know, if I walk out the back, you know, I've just got this beautiful area with so many herbs. And at the moment, a marshmallow has just grown exponentially in the last week or two because the weather has warmed up for more than one day. And everywhere I go, there's all these beautiful herbs around. And, yeah, I just, I find it a wonderful way to live, absolutely wonderful. So people, to teach this sort of thing, they need to be, I think, it would be advantage advantage. It would be of advantage if they had this type of lifestyle as well. It's not absolutely necessary, but it's certainly um, closer to nature, and that's what most people want. I think when I first went up to the herb farm, because we had been taught, so I was taught um, herbalism in uh, the mid eighties. We all had to grow our own herbs. It was just what you did, and. I found when I went up to the herb farm the first few times, a lot of herbalists didn't know what the herbs were, which I found quite interesting. And and I'd ask them, you know, was this part of what you were required to do within your course? And they'd say, no, it was optional. And so fairly simple herbs they, they weren't all that familiar with, which was a bit of a shame. There is certainly areas where our dried herbs are useful without a doubt some herbs do need to be dried out nice and slowly so that certain chemical compounds are formed others when they're dried out deteriorate so there's lots of different areas that herbal medicine can be utilized and i've never been much of a herb tea sort of practitioner but in the last two years, I've made up a few herb teas and been absolutely astounded because people really like teas, really like teas. And so I just thought, okay, well, next harvest season, I'll do, do herbs for teas. All gone within six months. So this year I've done a lot more. And as soon as I started doing, had them dried, people were turning up and they needed them. And it's interesting how much, and I think also it takes away I want to have a cuppa, but I don't want to have a coffee and I don't want to have a real tea and I don't want to have, say, hot chocolate. It gives them something else to drink. When I go and do little seminars and things, um, I'm always off doing little bits and pieces. I take along my own lemon verbena and nine times out of ten it's fresh because we do most of these things in summer. (laughs) And I'll just drop the leaves straight into the hot water in the cup and then the smell goes through the room. And everyone is stunned by the beautiful smell. Uh, I've often found that, I find it quite amusing. And I sit there and say, well, that's what happens when you use fresh herbs. And oh, they go, have you got any? <laughs> yes, I have. And I actually allow people to come around and just pick some herbs. They want to take them home. You know, They want to see what they're like. Um, anything to get them moving towards looking after their health, just a little bit more in small ways, which is really important. Um, the environment that we work in, uh, it's the connection of the plants that we have such, hello, the connection of the plants that we have such a strong bond with. I can recall one time there was a lot of pulsatilla up at the herd farm. So during the seminar. Um, Kent had said right we're going to harvest pulsatilla so we all go out there we get chopping boards out it's a very fine plant so you don't put it through any sort of equipment you just use a wooden board and a big knife and there was four of us with big wooden wooden boards chopping away happily and then it happened people started reacting to the natural chemicals that were being let out from this herb several people started proving the remedy in a home pathic sense. So that was all to do with the sinuses. So it's not just a female herb. And some people had to get out the room. We had to get out some peppermint and some eucalyptus to wave under people's noses. Some people were fine, didn't bother them. But those that did get bothered, they really had to get out the room. And Ken stood there and said, you see, you see, everyone always asks me, how did the eclectics know what the herbs did in the body? Just by being close to them, doing things with them, you start to pick it up. Not all responses with our herbs on a physical, energetic level were as strong as that. But it certainly was interesting that the people who did react had sinus issues. And that's where the problem was. They were having sinus issues immediately and had to get out the room because headaches were starting. And that's just another example of being in and around an environment and learning from it. Because that had always been one of my questions. How did they know what herbs to use for what ailments? How? Observation, being around. Yeah, beautiful. Within the environment. Slap it on, see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Mm Yeah,
0: beautiful. Um, You mentioned as well just before that you, before you came along to Pindari Farm, uh, you were studying in the mid-80s and... um, And I'm just curious, where where did you study and and what was your experience like of being a student before you came to Pindari Farm? Um,
1: Yeah, so um, there was the Gold Coast College of Natural Therapies and the Brisbane College of Natural Therapies. I chose to go to the Gold Coast one. It had just opened up and it was a subsidiary of the Brisbane. So we were in under um, an RTO. So I had previously worked for surgeons, uh, cardiologists, and I had become very interested in the three years I worked for them as their secretary in nutrition because they were always on about what was good for you and what wasn't good for you. And all us little secretaries in our mid-20s thought this was just wonderful. Um, I became very interested in nutrition because it was something they, they went on about uh, an awful lot. I found that I could, within the government system, work in the dietary department of the hospitals, which I did for three months to see if I wanted to become a dietary uh, clinician. Um, Probably more the lady involved I found, I didn't really like it at all. And um, it went against a lot of my principles that I'd already learned and also learned from the surgeons. So uh, when I went back working for them, I spoke to them and they said, well, maybe you need to be more in the alternative area. So naturopaths and herbalists weren't, problem in those days they didn't mind them at all and I found that was really good advice they said make sure whatever you do it's government accredited don't spend money where there's no accreditation at the end because it gives you a good scientific back- background so you need to know your chemistry biochemistry pathology all this sort of stuff if you're going to work with people in a sense um helping them with their diets so I chose to become a naturopath and uh, specialized within herbalism. I found homeopathy quite fascinating and I had received an offer to work in a clinic doing that straight away but I declined. I wanted to stay more with the actual herbs themselves. The people who taught us were people who'd been in clinic for 20, 30, some 40 years and we were just so thrilled that we could have those quality instructors passing on their knowledge one of the gentlemen who was also uh, part owner of the college he was also an alchemist and his name was Ross Mack he was a very interesting individual he at one point worked up at Talabudra Herbs and he was the um, manufacturer up there he was the one who introduced us to a sox extractor and also the amazing energetic vibrational remedies that you can make which was all very fascinating He actually had a class on Monday afternoon, which was called Alchemy, where we were introduced to all the concepts, um, given the truth about the Philosopher's Stone, and just letting us know where our roots were from the 1100s, 1200s, 1300s, right up until the 1600s. So alchemists, of course, were the first chemists, and they were playing around with anything, you know, to see what would happen and how it would work. So it was quite interesting. Um, It was the class that everyone turned up for, no matter what. Everyone was always there. And it ran for six months. It was absolutely fascinating. And to have that history as well was amazing. Um, The other instructors, um, I always find the best medicine to start off with is food. If you don't have the correct food for your body type going in, there is nothing (laughs) that's going to – function properly over a period of time and it doesn't matter how many herbs you pop down your throat they might work for a little while but they won't work long term and so we always need to understand what foods are best for our bodies at the age at to which we are so the only people in clinic that I've ever found that I've not been able to assist with improve long-term improvement are those who do not cook they do not prepare their own foods so the question is well what do you eat So after a while I just, you know, I say to them, well, maybe that, you know, this isn't working for you and you need to look at your diet and if you're willing to do that in the future then we'll come back and we'll try again. But there seems to be a lot of confusion about why you would want to eat healthy foods and it's just the way things are these days. There's so much information out there and people get lost in it and confused. So I think it's very important that as herbalists, we're all taught nutrition as herbalists. We're taught all about the body, the body sciences, but we're also taught iridology. We're taught other science with the body, which you just visually look at. And I've never bought an iridology camera. I've been hired by Bupa to do iridology within businesses to assist people with guidance of their health. Um, And I find it to be highly accurate. We are not allowed to diagnose at all, not these days anyway. Once upon a time, we could say, yes, I can see a cyst on the left side of your throat. You're not allowed to say that anymore. We can indicate there might be congestion. That would be the most. <laughs> <Yep>. mm. <clears throat> um With iridology and herbalism, they go hand in hand. They do work well together and I find it a very useful tool when I'm first sitting there with someone so if someone has green eyes I know there could be a kidney compromising issue or certainly fluids of the body may have some uh, need for assistance and so even though they may not mention any, anything in that area I will take into account that is part of their constitution and also constitutions come from also our homeopathy of which I did which was a classical homeopathic cause and that was a fairly big course. But I, I didn't ever actually just work as a classical homeopath. I utilise herbs and homeopathics together. And that was another area up at the herb farm with Ken Atherton that we had interesting discussions about, which was you do not put homeopathics and herbal medicines together. His suggestions were, yes, you do, <laughs> and who says you can't? And I said, all the homeopathy people. <laughs> However, he said, try it, see what you think. And I did, and it worked. Mm. So it, in the end, when you work in clinic, it's really important that you make things as easy as possible for your clients. If you get too complex, they get lost. If you make it fairly simple and easy for them to follow directions, they're likely to be compliant and therefore follow through and reach the degree of healing that they're after. Yeah. so yeah the teaching was good Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it and um, it was tiring (laughs) but it was good and we had all sorts of things, we had to go out we did bark flowers, we had to get out there in botanical gardens, we had to choose flowers, we had to make them out there Um, we had to grind up eggshells so we could put it into the socks of extractor to make um, a calcium uh, uh, homeopathic we had to grind up um, oyster shells, um, cow carb. We did all sorts of things like that. <coughs> and that really gave you a sense of where you're going to be heading and working within the future, the hands-on side of it. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, it, it was in my first year of uni that they took out the, um, the homeopathy teachings out of uni and, in fact, they closed down the homeopathy degrees as well which was a really, really strange moment in time.
1: Yeah. Um, we had.
0: Uh... But, and, yeah, also hearing what you're saying with um, the importance of nutrition and, you know, where like that's, that's another form of herbal education, you know, with you, like as a practitioner, you know, with your patients as well. Like it's not just like, oh, you've got a problem, here's your remedy, now go home. It's also like education is a really big part of, of being a practitioner, isn't it, is educating those people on how to eat um, you know, in in the right way for them, for their constitution and their age and everything, like mm-hmm. you say, and exactly. and and educating them on on good ways to live, and um, you know, so that that's that's something that you can get when you have a, a longer a longer uh, consultation time than than the average GP doesn't really mm-hmm. get to give that mm-hmm. kind of real mm-hmm. thorough lifestyle advice, and in fact, they're not even really trained in that, trained in nutrition and trained in Uh, full kind of lifestyle assessment like that so um, yeah it's such an important part of being an effective practitioner I believe is being is being educational for your patients and and making sure that yeah they're not just taking the quick fix and going home and um, not actually getting to the core root of the issue and yeah so that's that's great that you're teaching that. Um, and so that meant so also, that sounds like an amazing opportunity for you, um, to get to be with the Gold Coast College of Natural Therapies and get to learn with people like Ross Mack and, and, and be taught the, you know, the, the energetic and vibrational side of, of medicine. And, um, I also know that, that Ken, Ken Atherton as well had a, uh, had a, quite a focus on, although he had the pharmaceutical background, he also it was quite, uh, into plant, um, uh, energy energies as well, wasn't he, and this kind of spirituality of plants. Yes, yes
1: he um <laughs> um <clears throat> he was interesting in that aspect. Um he said he, there was an interesting um thing that happened at one of the seminars. Um it, there was a lot of very spiritual people there and it was a very it was fun, it was relaxing and One day, so we used to have a room that we're in with a great big glass window where you'd look straight out over to the garden and we all got up. He'd finished doing a talk about something. We all got up and we're about to head out the door to get into the garden and he went, oh, my God. He said, all the sprites are here. (laughs) People looked at him and he said they were all lined up down at the bottom of this great big glass window. And, of course, everyone turns and looks around. No, we can't see anything. And he said, "They're all, they're all there watching us." He said, "This is amazing," and he was getting some interesting looks. No one really said anything. Okay, right. And it's not that we didn't disbelieve him; Uh, we believed, but we couldn't see it. So, and he looked at us all, and he said, "Yes, I know. People used to say um, this, and I used to look at them just the way you're looking at me." And (laughs) so we all went outside. We all wanted to see them. And a few of us came <laughs> back with a similar vision, I would call it, um, which was, you know, when you see, say, a comet and it's really um, round and bright at uh, the head of it and then it has a tail that tapers off so it's no longer as yeah. um, bright. And they looked like that going around plants and some were different colours and it was like little energy balls moving around. And so several of us got back together and I said, well, I don't know, but this is what I saw. And we'd all seen a similar thing. So wow. that was interesting. He was very much into the energetical thing, energetic side of things. It was not uncommon, and I was often the person who pulled up the roots or cut off a bit of leaf, and I would share it around so people could have a little taste. And the idea was uh, a very small taste would go on to the centre of the tongue and you would just wait. So as the enzymes within saliva would start to dissolve um, and release things, People would start to taste, feel, etc., that particular herb. And, for instance, we would often do it with golden seal. So I'd get a small amount of root out, give them a very tiny, clean it, and give them a very tiny amount, and they would just chomp it twice and then put it in the middle of the tongue. And the explosion of the energy and the chemicals within this uh, root gave them a sense of how powerful it was, how strong it was. Um, a lot of people would end up having nose rums, uh, cleansing of the sinuses, things like that, uh, when they did that. He, he was very much into using his intuition on most things. And if he didn't get it through his intuition, he'd revert back to his science background. So he would often sit there if someone asked a question and for about 30 seconds he'd just close his eyes and he'd be quiet and he would be waiting to receive information. So, uh, yeah, he was a true alchemical person. He always waited for the intuition. And if that wasn't relevant or didn't appear, then he would go into his science-based stuff. The thing I found the most fascinating of all was his ability to formulate. Um, The last project he had in the last few years of his life was uh, clay products. So he was using bentonite clay and... He would use it as, he would put some, you know, glycerin with it and then he would use essential oils with it, probably some DMSO to help go through into the skin. And he would use these pastes for varying things. So we had a sinus paste you put over on the sinus areas. We had a lymphatic paste. So if there were certain areas, you know, that were really swollen with the lymph, we would, uh, and there were ingestions as well, but these were topical. So what I found was one thing I didn't learn, or maybe I didn't pay attention enough to in my classes for herbalism was the topicals and first aid type stuff really. So I have since learned a lot about that and it's one of the things that I need to be able to present out to people who want to learn it. So formulating is the essence of what we do at the end of our growing and manufacturing of our herbs. So just getting, you know, a 100 ml bottle and 25 ml of four herbs just doesn't really cut it. You will still get results, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're in a clinic and you want to earn money, pay your bills, etc., from this, you have to get good at certain things, which just does take a little bit of time. So anyone who comes near me and we're doing formulating, I don't, as I said before, lay people, qualified people, it doesn't matter, Um, I will teach them a formulating process. So a while back, probably about five years ago, people wanted a toothpaste and I wanted a toothpaste. So I went to the paste formulas that Ken was using that were topicals for other reasons and I um, started to alter them. And I used Ron Gruber of Once Was of Essential Therapeutics his information I'd done his essential oil course um, to do with what are the best essential oils to go into the mouth for gingivitis, periodontal things and keep plaque at bay. So yes you always have to clean your teeth properly but what else can you do to help? So I didn't want my children or myself to put these chemicals into my mouth um, being that you know we absorb a great deal sublingually. And so I now have a toothpaste and it works brilliantly. I don't only use it for people who have problems with their teeth or gums, I use it for everyone now. And that way Mm. um, your teeth are kept in better condition because the gums are, you know, putting some things in, I put some ground-up licorice root to make it a bit sweet. Excellent anti-inflammatory, absolutely Mm. fantastic. Um, I put in reishi mushroom. Yeah,
0: that's great for the gums as well. Yep, and
1: reishi mushroom, which is a tonifier. And, Mm -hmm. yes, it's in there long enough to make a difference. Um, there's a few other little bits and pieces in there. Ken had a a recipe, a formula called tooth drops, and that was when his second marriage, they had two more children, so he wanted to get them away from um, Colgate, for instance. And, yeah, so you would use the tooth drops with your finger. And so I decided to simply marry the clay, the glycerin, the essential oils with the tooth drops. And I have a really great toothpaste, and it's based on kaolin, so it doesn't cost a huge amount of money. It's easy to make, doesn't go off, <clears throat> wonderful stuff. I've had people who haven't gone to the dentist for eight years, and the dentist will say to them, "Why haven't you been to the dentist for eight years? I haven't had a need." And they get in there, and there's well, there's hardly any plaque. How can that be? And they say, oh, I have a really good toothpaste. <laughs> so there's lots of things that do you do when sell you sell know this had toothpaste, family,
0: um, Sandra, that you make. <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I put it in a 100-gram tub. It probably weighs about 120 or 30 grams. But, um, yeah, I do. And I do put a bit of carrageenan in there. I've used other – I've used agar and I've used – which didn't work well because you've got to have things that don't grow bugs very good. I had um, several other gums that I tried, xanthan, but I did find the carrageenan is the best, which is a type of seaweed. And I find it interesting that I find it interesting that um, as soon as people try it, they never go back to other toothpastes. So yeah, Mm. it's, it's wonderful to be able to make up things and things recently using clay products. And this is something I haven't taught because I've only been playing around the last few years. With clay products, we can do a lot of things. So I make up a clay mask. That is really good for just cleansing skin. Also, if they have acne or other problems. Um, With the clay products, if you have herpes, um, any skin infections that are of a moist nature, I will use dried herbs within a clay base to help dry it out to stop this problem continuing. Um, Yeah, so there's a lot of things that you can do that are beyond... um, just making a cream or a balm and also with essential oils i make perfumes which are really really nice
0: beautiful yeah i'm sure that our a lot of the listeners listening to this right now are going to be wanting to know where to get that so i i will make sure that in the show notes i'm going to put a link to your online store so people can purchase those things from you myself included Uh, So I just want to know um, what inspired you to want to start teaching other people herbalism and also what have been some of the hidden and perhaps unexpected gems in becoming a herbal educator?
1: Um, Essentially I was brought into it by the mere fact I happened to be standing there and I didn't want to do it. I found that um it was something that scared me because I didn't want to get things wrong and especially in front of a pharmacist and all these people <laughs> so when he became unwell I sort of had no choice because he was losing the use of his arms so I made a deal with him and said I'll get up there and do um, all the presenting that requires arm work moving around and you do the talking and my thing was if I lose my concentration. Um, I forget where I am, I may make a mistake. And so for me to be nervous, to present initially and also be making something, I found that a little daunting, so a bit of an introvert here. What I found was when he would do the talking, I could completely concentrate on what I was doing. And so this happened for about three seminars and after that period, I was fine. Uh, the the fear had been negated, which was wonderful. So I'd been put in a position that I could cope with and then be able to present. And I can tell you, my darling, when you guys first rocked up in 2015, it was Linda and I's first seminar there, some of us were a bit nervous. <laughs> but because I'd done it so much, the knowledge, you know, um, I took on, I took on... The expectation that it was going to be absolutely fun and, you know, we'd have great people within the seminar that we would all be able to get on really well, enjoy a joke and have fun within the learning. Um, So, yeah, I just, that's how I got into it. It was sort of like default and I laugh now because I have taught so much and I have no problems getting up anymore doing that sort of thing and being able to concentrate so the gems are that one I was able to do it two I'm able to pass on this information because I'm able to do teaching now without the fear of mucking up and I have learned we're all hard on ourselves at certain areas at certain times that, and if I muck up I'm allowed to I'm allowed to make a mistake occasionally and if someone presents it to me I think great thanks for letting me know so yeah um, other gems essentially watching people start up their own businesses. So I often do mentoring for people who've been within the course. They've started doing they've had an opportunity come up, they've started doing formulating, they're going to say uh, they've been asked to in a remote area do creams, etc for uh, accommodation. And so working with them to formulate, working with them to ensure that it doesn't go off that they won't have the embarrassment of that happening, which ruins your reputation straight up. If you have a cream that goes off, people won't come back to Mm. you ever again. So knowing the correct way to preserve without chemicals or the vast array of preservatives we now have available. um, But the watching of people doing what it is they love and want to have this passion fed, is probably the most important thing and i really like it when people come to the garden and they enjoy being around the herbs and i've never seen anyone in any of the herb Mm. gardens that i've been in and taken people to that has not thoroughly enjoyed it and found it wonderful just wonderful (laughs) yeah so um mm, that would be it yeah and essentially i find myself very lucky to be living this lifestyle I am happy, I enjoy what I do, it's peaceful, I get to be around the herbs all the time and I work hard. I will not lie, this is harder, it's more time consuming than what most people would realise. So I find I'm often extremely tired but I keep going back, I keep doing it, I keep loving it and, you know, I'm getting into my mid-60s now and... Yeah, I can't see myself changing. I just can't. And each year I introduce more herbs into my own life as well, herbs I haven't worked with before. It's always like a project. It really helps if you're a herbalist to be a very curious individual and bringing in different herbs. So recent ones were red root, Cyananthus americanus, amazing lymphatic cleanser, just very expensive but amazing. Um, Poria, poria, Wolfporia, absolutely amazing uh cystus in canis or other cystuses which grow around here known as rock rose. The ability of rock rose in a viral situation, so many situations, is phenomenal, um, underrated. Um, I'm not too sure if I'm allowed to mention a company, but a company who's, who makes herbal remedies have these herbs. And when the rep talks to me about them, I trial them. And that is how I've become aware of them through the reps. And a lot of these herbs are just phenomenal that I have not been exposed to before. Um, Sistus in Canis is my latest love. And I've got sisters plants everywhere here. I found after the rep had talked to me about <laughs> this plant, <laughs> I knew it was up the road on a corner. And I went up there, know the lady. So I asked her, could I harvest some? Then I started using it and was stunned, stunned at the results. Also, I started powdering it so that I could use it in a clay um, infection. So for anything to do with infections topically worked mm. brilliantly, just brilliantly. So, um, yeah, there there's quite a few herbs that we actually have around us that we often don't even notice, and that's a shame because they're there just waiting yes. for us. Yeah. So, yeah, fortunately a whole host of people I here have planted um, <laughs> sisters. <laughs> I have also... <clears throat> an Alembic copper distiller. So my first uh, knowledge of cystus was when formulating for my beauty creams, I wanted to use ambergris, which is a plant. It's also called labdanum, and it's also a rock rose. So I searched around, and lo and behold, they are at Bunnings, so I bought some. With my distiller, I'm able to make uh, essential oils. I have a 10-litre one. It is a beautiful piece of equipment. I absolutely love my copper distiller. I've had it now for about three years. It was a gift from my children. And I've made some beautiful lavender. I've made lavender verbena essential oil and hydrosols. I adore hydrosols. They are just fantastic. I've done um, honey myrtle. I've done a type of gum and a type of uh, tea tree. And they are just the potency of a fresh oil. A fresh essential oil is amazing. Our essential oils are getting much dearer these days, people may have noticed, and there's a lot to do with lack of supply. There's some MLM companies that buy up a lot around the world. Um, We are having issues with climate and about five years ago I was actually told, and I can't confirm if this is actually going to happen, but I was told that a lot of the plants within Europe area are not doing too well. So the ones that we would get our essential oils from because of the dramatic changes with the climate and that Tasmania was one of the more stable places as far as climate goes and that we would probably become an essential oil um, island, that we would make a lot of essential oils growing the plants, to which I thought was just wonderful. I haven't heard anything else since about that. So, But if you think about it, it's not a bad option. We have amazing soil here. Compared to a lot of places, our climate is much more stable Um, I hear up in uh, northern Queensland, massive flooding again. Your plants die if they get flooded. Um, They won't live. And it's Mm -hmm. the same as if you, you know, in the climate area, if it's too dry for too long, they simply cannot cope. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens within the future. I watch the plants adapt every year. My early campaigns this year were short. Normally they're taller than me. They might have come up to, say, my chest height this year. Yet the poke roots (laughs) was just, yeah, grown out of sight this year. So it's interesting to see which ones end up altering um, due to the climate. Essential oils are something that we need to respect. The amount of herb material you need to be able to make five to ten mils of essential oil is massive. And... Sometimes I just spare a little bit about possibly the wastage of our essential oils, but then I think I'd rather see people use essential oils than use chemicals. So having um, a distillation unit, and you don't have to buy a copper one. You can buy one that is a stainless steel with a copper head to it, um, which is ideal because you can do resins and barks in it with a copper one you can only do more your flowers your twigs you do not do resins and you do not do barks um so I, I stick to the flowers and of course lavender i've got several places i go and get their lavender from and they get quite a bit of the hydrosol and bearing in mind there's quite a lot of essential oil still left in a hydrosol and i they will stay stable mm-hmm. for two years stored correctly and a lot of uh, energy workers buy the hydrosol of the lavender so that they can cleanse a room before they do their energetic work. Um, I've had gone around to people's places with this still and done varying distillations, and people just love it. They absolutely love it. So I highly recommend if anyone, you get a stainless steel one with a copper head for about $600. The one I got a 10-litre Alembic copper steel. They're made in Portugal <clears throat> um, uh, from New Zealand is where I bought it. And I bought everything that goes with it, which made life nice and easy. So as far as the laboratory equipment that you required with it, when you do this sort of work, it's laboursome, but the results are fantastic. And bearing in mind the hydrosol and also the essential oil will last about two years. So, yeah, I just love that. <laughs> It's like the icing on the cake for me as far as herbalism
0: goes. (laughs) The very nice smelling icing on the cake.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, I really love your dedication to not only growing your own medicine but making your own medicine and then also like your dispensing as a practitioner. How much of what you're dispensing to your patients, like how much of that is what you've um,
1: made yourself? Mm -hmm. I'd say a good 95%. So I've never been able to crack base or skull cap, so I have to buy it dry. Astragalus, yeah, I can get the plant out, but it doesn't do well. Um, with Thania, I've got a mother plant that I've had on oh, for 10 years now. Every year I get a few of the seeds that will sprout up, but the plants really do very good because it's just not uh, dry enough and warm enough in Tasmania or, shall I say, in the position that I'm in, there are areas that would be fine. So... There are a few that I'm simply not able to grow, Uh, some also would be the tropical plants, although I do grow ginger and I do grow turmeric, you just make sure you've got them in a very warm spot. My suggestion is they still grow, you still get the root crop, you may not get as much as within a tropical area, but you certainly do, and the colour's good, so it's a good reddish colour, not the yellowy-orange sometimes that you see. I particularly love growing everything and anything I possibly can. So it's a bit of an addiction, you see.
0: Well, yeah, that's absolutely incredible. I've never met anyone um, that could claim, that could um, make that claim of, of, of dispensing, of 95% of what they're dispensing is what they've grown um, and sourced and made, made themselves. It's just amazing. And I really hope that a lot of our listeners get inspired by that. And um, I really hope that there's a, a new wave coming of people that uh, will want to have that kind of connection and have those kind of dispensaries oh, because it's yeah. just... Yeah, very, very, very uncommon in Australia, yeah. at least. Um, in the UK, yeah. it's a lot more common, uh, but yes. not in Australia <laughs> and, and in um, this, in America as well. It's a bit more common. Uh, so, my next question for you is something that I love to ask everyone that comes on to um, onto my segment of the podcast. Is uh, it's a question about what like envisioning the the, the future um, of, of in Australia of herbal education and um, so like what, what do you wish was either different about herbal education in Australia or, or what would you like to see more of, or, you know, what kind of learning environments would you like to see, uh, being created when it comes to herbal medicine in Australia?
1: Um, I love the fact that we have colleges, you know, that's where I started. You've got to go to somewhere to do formal education. You know, we are, they're, they're, um, invaluable, um, I'm not familiar being here in this little place um, that much with what the colleges are like and and the instructors, shall we say. My hope or what I would envisage is people who really know their herbs have worked with the herbs. Um, They utilise the herbs uh, as needed, when needed. And book learning is valuable. Um, I have a lot of books and I always have my nose stuck in a book. They're wonderful. I enjoy books. I enjoy the knowledge that comes from teachers, the the understanding that you gain from learning about the chemistry, the biochemistry, etc. cetera. Um, we, we have to have that knowledge and we have to have good people to be able to deliver that. When it comes to, that's more the scientific realm, when it comes to more the practical and or intuitive realm, um, I think that's possibly dependent upon the instructor that you would have. Now, Um, Dorothy Hall, who most people know about now, um, she had a very different way of looking at things. She didn't just do what everyone else did. I mean, she has a book on the herbs that, you know, people's personality denote which particular herb they need at that point in time. Where else do you find that? You don't. Mm -hmm. So her work, in a way, was quite groundbreaking and very enlightening. She also was an excellent teacher and she delivered a lot of information to a lot of people over a very long time. She deserves the um, uh, fame that she more or less now has. She was well known. She was well known amongst several herbalists at that time. I could have studied with her, but I chose to move to another area. Um, I'd had enough of Sydney and I didn't want to be in the North Shore. She'd gone there. It was very expensive and she was phenomenal. So people who are able to see things in a slightly different way that allow other people to get a different perspective and think more naturally. Now, our books are important and we need to follow that. But also, when it comes to dealing with people, everyone's not the same. The difference of the human constitution is just massive. So and the way they think, and the environment they live in, and what is happening around them on a personal, emotional level. So all those things taken into account is what makes a herbalist. To have teachers to be able to guide you in those aspects is really good as well. So it's an all-encompassing area that I doubt one instructor could do, but we need many instructors and they work in the areas of their expertise to enlighten those who have come to learn, whether it be more the energetic side, whether it be more the scientific side. Personally, I think both marry together quite well. One does go with the other and a lot of people might disagree with that, but living the way I have in the last couple of decades, my belief is we can happily marry the two together so, yeah, learning from a variety of people is probably the best thing, I would say. Look, even after all the experience I've had, I still go to other, other practitioners, other herbalists, um manufacturing. I went to one in Sydney um, a couple of years back. Do I need to know how to dry herbs out, <laughs> grind them up, and put them in a capsule? No. Did I do it? Yes. Did I um, enjoy it? Did I get to meet other people? other practitioners plus the lady who was presenting. It was just lovely. Um, She had a very traditional way of doing things which I just loved and every time you go to a different instructor person presenting you do learn something different and it adds to your knowledge and to your abilities over a period of time. I think the worst thing that anyone can ever do is think they know enough and they should stop learning. So education on all levels for as long as you are a herbalist is a really important thing. There's some seminars and things I've been to that I might have only learnt one thing in that weekend, but that's added to the hundred other things that I have learnt previously. And sometimes people say, how do you remember all this? How do you know all this? And I say, well, I go up and I do a lot of things. And if you learn things slowly and repetitively uh, and you put them into practice repetitively, it becomes part of what you are and what you're doing. So, yeah, I um, believe that we certainly need our colleges and we certainly need people who are able to, in the areas of their expertise, give out great information so that students become well-rounded and then they can Mm -hmm. possibly know which area they may venture into. More scientific, more energetic, Maybe they want to go into the flower essences or the homeopathics because of the vibrations and that's where they work and that's where they work the best. And some people, yep, it's um, I'll use a one to two tincture from Mediherb, which is great because I believe people often find a practitioner if they have a problem and that practitioner has the skills required at that point in time to assist that person with that particular complaint. There are times when you may need to move on to a different practitioner. Once you have worked with the initial practitioner, you may then need to go to someone else for another type of perspective to do with the healing that you're after. So some people stay with a practitioner forever and some people move around. And my view is when people ask me questions about where they should go, what they should do, is you go to where you're drawn to. Where you feel quite drawn to go, you go there because that's your your intuition guiding you or whichever word you want to use for intuition, guiding you that, you know, you sort of might need to be over in this path at this point in time. And always remember things change. You change. Things change. So keep changing with them. And learning more the best thing you can do with your life is learn more and more and more and more and you meet wonderful people and you learn so much from them too
0: beautiful yeah i totally agree with that getting a such a a diverse range of different teachers will give you a much more rounded knowledge base and kind of really show you what a lot of your what your options are for your personal path with herbalism so yeah thank you for sharing that Um, and we're pretty much out of time today. Um, but before, before we finish up, I just want to ask, um, if you would, could share any of your current projects or offerings. So, um, any, you know, I know you have an online store, um, you know, just any of your current offerings you have like in your community or online and also any potential upcoming, uh, workshops or offerings that you have in the pipeline as well.
1: So normally I would have um, a little bit of a list for you of what would be coming up. So I do a lot during uh, November, December, January, February because the herbs are there. Um, When it comes to winter, I do a lot of uh, things to do with throat sprays and to do with herbal remedies and um, varying things that happen within winter and how to keep nutrition up. Because we've had um, a certain virus around and it has um, become fairly full on again, And when I'm working with people, we are very close to each other. I have no wish to catch this and I have no wish if I have it without knowing, passing it on. So it has been my decision since March 2020 to leave the workshops alone at this point in time. Every time I start to pop my head up and go, right, I'm going to start doing something now, we get more outbreaks. And so this is teaching me a lesson in patience, to say the least, and budgeting. (laughs) So... What I am currently hoping for is June, we might be able to look at running some seminars again. And depending, there is a huge interest and I have an expressions of interest list with hundreds of names on it. I would love to be able to say we're going to be doing this, this and this, but at this point in time I can't. The most I can say to people is if you contact me via email, I put you on the expressions of interest list and when courses are being let out, you get six weeks notice to begin with. Um, you email me and give me your details and yes, I will send out information and it is really a first in, first serve. I only have 10 people and that's because if it's, well, we're in Tasmania, if it's raining or blustery wind, we come into my huge lounge room. We set the tables up in here. Otherwise, on I've got a huge back deck or back veranda and we put the tables out there on beautiful days. So it really does consist of people. We work out what we're going to make. We go and work out how much we're going to harvest. Everyone gets bowls, scissors, and off they go into the garden. And we give talks about the growing, when to harvest. If you're going to harvest, when's the right time to get the most potent medicine? Um, at this point in time, as I say, um, if people contact me when. Things settle down I will then send out emails for those who would like to participate I want to do go back into the balms I want to go back into the beauty creams and medicinal creams again I love having people to know how to work out if they're doing fresh plant tinctures or dry plant tinctures what is the best for that herb and also uh, the calculations so they get it accurate it's also the clay. I want to do the clay remedies and that started initially with just a deodorant which worked brilliantly so I ventured on further. I'm No, that's not what you want to exactly hear but that's where I am at this point in time. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. And you're also offering um, mentorship, aren't you, online for, for certain people?
1: Yes. Um, people who've come to seminars um, and or have a specific reason To want some mentoring for a period of time, um, I look after those people, yes. So um, they are provided with, we make appointments with each other, we do time frames, they're given notes, there is a cost incurred um, only initially, first there is a cost, after that I simply help them where and when needed because I really want to see them get going. I really want to see their businesses, their dreams, their passions fulfilled And often people just need a little bit of information here, there, uh, to get them on to that particular path and be successful at it and be happy at it, not stressed. So we do a lot of work with initially the formulations and what they want to do. And then it goes into them making them. And if they need any help along the way, at no cost, then I'm simply happy to help people. Also, I'm prone to sending seeds, (laughs) cuttings, all sorts of things to people so that they can get certain things going Mm -hmm. yeah because i enjoy it i love it yeah makes my heart happy
0: beautiful well your passion passion is infective because you've definitely been very influential on me (laughs) um yeah thank you so much for sharing everything you've shared today i feel like um i could actually spend quite a few hours here just listening to you talk and and um learning all more about what you're doing and it's it's just yeah very inspiring and I and I know that our listeners will be very inspired as well wonderful um so yeah I just wanted to say thank you very much for coming on the show with me today and for sharing all of your amazing wisdom and experience
1: yep and may I thank you for the first time that I met you and spent five days with you to where you have come now this is what I'm talking about the jewels you know the gems that are part of I, I might start something off, but then you pick it up and you go and you put your spin on it. You put your um, specific brand of what you're doing. And it's you're one of the people that I look at and go, oh, is great. <laughs> look where she is. Look what she's doing. And you also have the same passion. You want this to stay alive, this knowledge. You also want others to be taught and to benefit from it. And that's the highest ideals that we we tend to have. Uh, Essentially, as I've said for decades, don't let this information die out. So I thank you, my girl. Mm -hmm. I really do. And I hope there has been some inspiration for others to start planting your herbs and enjoy that process. Yep. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much and have a beautiful day and I hope you get more rain there. So do I. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you then. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the herbal education segment of the Elder Tree podcast. Stay tuned every new moon as I interview amazing and inspiring herbal educators from around Australia. To find out more about the Elder Tree, you can go to our website, which is theeldertree.org. And through our website, you can subscribe to our mailing list can also follow our journey on Instagram and on Facebook. Thank you again so much and have a most wonderful day.